You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable and fixed blade knives and game processing kits. Now, in my bag this year, I had the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit. It comes in a very compact, handy carrying case, and one handle has the replaceable blade knife and the gutting blade. The other handle has the saw that comes with it. So, I use the saw to split the pelvis, and I use the gut hook to open up the cavity and the blade to start cutting all the stuff out, right? So uh, it makes cleaning a deer very simple, very easy, and the the knife is sharp. And uh, if you've ever had to gut a deer with a dull knife, we all know how much that sucks. So um, take a look at the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit and uh, head on over to OutdoorEdge.com and enter the discount code NATION30. That's NATION30 for 30% savings on your purchase. Howdy ho, everybody, and welcome back to the Hunting Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and you're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. Now, today, we have on Kurt Hennington from Expedition Archery, and these guys, uh, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll put it this way, out of all the bows that were released this year and based solely off their teaser videos and some of the rumors that were spreading around about the new bow lineups that were coming from all these different companies, Expedition Archery probably got me the most excited as far as uh, their new cam design and the new material that they're using in their risers, uh, amongst other things. But um, So that's why I was really excited to talk with Kurt today about all of the new things that are going on at Expedition, the new material mostly, the cam design, and uh, some of the other features that are new to their bows. And um, after listening to this podcast, I can't help but think that there's there's not going to be some kind of new norm. And I say that in, in quotation marks because as we all know, all these companies really try to hype up their new lines, you know, their new uh, bow lines or or the new series that are coming out. But uh, I really do feel that this particular um, this particular bow lineup is going to be groundbreaking, and it, it probably has the biggest impact on. And this is just my opinion. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a you know. I can't go down and break down every single bow. I don't even work on my bows, but I'm talking just from reading what I've read, uh, and I'll know more once I actually shoot the bow. But uh, I think this is going to be a new norm as far as some of the materials that are going to be used um, in the industry. And uh, so definitely keep an eye out for that. Uh, Maybe some of the bows that you shoot, the companies might be going to this new material and um, different I don't know, because on paper, really, and, and we talk about this, on paper, bows really haven't changed throughout the years, right? You know, as far as the draw length, the axle-to-axle, the IBO speeds, and, and things like that, I'm not going to say it's been a plateau of sorts, but from the specs on on paper are all kind of the same. So it's the material, it's the engineers, it's the... The, the composition of the bow it's the process in which it is made which is really going to make a specific bow or bow brand stick out above the rest and um, 
I don't know. That's I guess that's one reason why I, why I am excited to someday shoot this bow, but get Kurt on the phone to actually talk about it. So, and I know that makes me sound like a fanboy, and I've never I haven't even shot this bow yet. Uh, I, like I said, it's just based off of all the information previous to this conversation is why I I am the most excited to to shoot that particular bow amongst others, but. Um, probably expedition at the top and plus i have some friends who shoot expedition and say that these this brand is is almost going it's 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 making the biggest strides as far as um year to year if that makes sense so that's just my two cents um however i'm going to give all bows a fair chance and i'm going to go out and try to shoot as many of them as possible this year I, i typically try to do that at the ata show but because it was canceled this year um, I'm going to have to find a different way to do that. But um, before we get into the episode, though, I really want to say that I appreciate all of you guys listening along. If there is a specific brand or company that you want me to have on this podcast, on the Hunting Gear podcast, hit me up. Uh, go to the Nine Finger Chronicles Instagram page and send me a DM or hit me up through Facebook or an email and let me know you know who you would like to have on there if you are the marketing guy in a company or the owner of a business and want your product or brand featured on the hunting gear podcast uh hit me up as well and uh i i give everybody equal shot from the small guys to the big guys so um i love talking with everybody i love new and innovative conversations uh to solve old problems so uh and that for the most part is locating a big buck and shooting a big buck i mean that's what it is for me every single year so if you can find one of those bath those bath toys it's like a pill and you put it in water and it expands into a big buck that would be a pretty cool product to to launch uh and all you gotta do is pay like a thousand dollars i would say i would say if you knew that you can shoot a Boone and Crockett deer every single year, I would pay a thousand, roughly a thousand dollars for that. I don't know why, but that would take all the fun out of it, right? <laughs> so, um, make sure you're following uh, the night or the Hunting Gear podcast. Subscribe to it on iTunes or wherever you find uh, your podcasts. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the Hunting or the uh, Sportsman's Nation podcast network on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast. And uh, I think that's it, man. So without further ado, let's get into today's hunting gear podcast with Kurt Headington of Expedition Archery. All right. On the phone with me today, Mr. Kurt Headington. How you doing, man? Awesome. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing good, man. Uh, Now, before we start talking about Expedition Archery and and the new bows that are coming from this uh, lineup, my, my question to you is... Does it hurt to smile as much as you do after you've had the the season that you've had this year? <laughs> well, <laughs> it, it, that's what you guys get to see. You don't you don't get to see all the headaches and the uh, head <laughs> right. <laughs> I appreciate you saying that, man. I mean, uh, on record, it, it's the best bow season i've had uh as far as the the quality of the two bucks i've shot two bucks in the past um you know between my landowner and regular tag but yeah this uh this was definitely a special season for sure all right real quick break down what you ended up shooting this year uh i shot uh, so, so i went into the year with it's kind of a neat story because i mean i the guys that are into it i think really understand this but i went into the year with with four deer, you know, per se on my target list and, and all of which I had, you know, different or varying amounts of, of history, whether it be sheds or pitchers or encounters. Um, but my number one uh, got shot on a neighboring farm about half a mile away early, early. Uh, I think it was shot either October 7th or 8th, but it was, it was a toad of a deer we'd been, we'd been kind of following along with for the last three years um, but he ended up going 191. So I mean, he was he was headliner for sure. Damn. Um, <laughs> exactly. The and I was happy for him. Fifteen uh, year old kid, first bow buck. Oh, uh, gee. You know, right I, I wish yeah. you didn't tell me that. I don't like it. I like it, this. This is the the asshole part of me that tends to show the older I get. But like, I don't feel like <laughs> this is gonna sound bad, but I don't feel like a fifteen year old kid deserves 
anything higher than like 120. You know, it, 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 I'll, I'll put it this way. They, they are great neighbors. Right. And, and his grandpa, the one that actually, you know, butts up to me or, or, or surrounds me to some degree or, ha- you know, shares some ground in the same neighborhood, let's say it that way. Um, and he's doing all the right stuff. You know what I mean? Right, the, the, right. The fact could have done it could have been him it could have been his grandson but the the fact that it was a 15 year old kid and it's his first bow buck he, <laughs> he a shot to the um it, 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 dan you'd have had to been there i mean he that kid's probably i mean he's still on cloud nine right? i believe I mean, it. this deer it, it fake big it was so big but in either case my number one uh was off the radar before i you know hypothetically before i even started hunting i, I don't think i'd even sat yet and that deer was dead um so I didn't really let it take the wind out of the sails, dude. I just shifted gears because uh, right. number two through number four, all studs. You know what I mean? All yeah. I would put a one seventy or better and mature. Um, so fast forward to the first cold front we had in October. I, I think it. I think it was the twenty second or twenty third when it blew through. But long and short of it, my what I would have put at number two at the time. Um, he started to hit some scrapes uh, in broad daylight. So I had him at like nine o'clock on the 16th or 17th. And then we had that cold front blow in and it rained uh, for like 18 hours straight here. And I knew he would hit those scrapes. So I was in a stand um, the morning of the 23rd, did not see him. And, and actually I was running a cell camera over that scrape and uh, hesitantly, I got down, uh, went to work for about four hours, got back in at three, and by five o'clock, uh, he was laying dead in in my in the field. Man, that's awesome. So, cool deer. Uh, same thing. History shed pictures, yada yada yada. But it's, it's just fun when a plan legitimately comes together, you know. And I knew he was going to hit those scrapes because he was he was boss hog for sure. And yeah, he he ran a tape below one seventies. I was I was I was super happy with him. And then. Um, so that was number one. Uh, number two, we'll fast forward to November 1st. So the same thing, this turkey foot deer was, is what we call them. Um, he never, I shouldn't say never, I never really started getting him consistently uh, until early November, two, three years in a row. Uh, so I'd, I'd reconfigured uh, where I hunt this farm specifically is a food plot, and I, and I had added some sets. And I mean, you know how the game is played, Dan. But yeah. that deer showed on camera the night of November first, and I got him twice. I got him at like um, I don't, two, three in the morning, and then again right at daylight. And I was like, okay, he's close. So I went right in there that night, and and that's the week. That's the week where things got like hot, and and I don't mean like the rut heating up. I mean right. like it was seventy, seventy five degrees here first week in November. Yep. Um, so I felt like I kind of had everything against me, but that that night I went out and and physically seen him. I didn't get a crack at him, but I, I did see him, and I got to look at him a bunch. Um, it turned into a five or six day marathon with this deer because whether it was morning or night and one of about five different tree stands i was hunting the same general area and and i kept seeing him um so finally it was almost a full week later that that sunday uh i went in there and and lo and behold he showed himself and and i got an arrow on him so unfortunately i hit him bad It, it it took a couple days to actually recover him but um i knew he was fatally wounded i just i i made a bad shot but yeah same thing cool deer you know would have been you know number three let's just call it going into the year um and voila november 8th or whatever it was i, I was tagged out man so yeah pr- pretty cool deal yeah did you take any western trips this year I did. I was uh I was out in Montana for the opener. I I hunt Montana almost religiously every year and it, it, it boils down to to the draw and which ranch I'm trying to get on as far as, you know, elk versus mule deer. And some years it's both if I draw a combo tag. But this year we were out in Montana, um, kinda out in the what I would call mid eastern Montana, uh, on a mule deer hunt got got lucky uh shot a giant out there shot a uh, 192 inch mule deer out there with a big drop time oh and then uh <laughs> i was back i went back there my buddy had three days um that he was available so he invited me out i ran out and did three days worth of elk hunting and and i should have shot a pretty nice six by six we 
we snuck into 35 yards and um, he was bedded. And of course the wind switched and he exploded. I, I never even got to shoot at him, but uh, yeah, it could have been, it could have been literally a dream season had I connected on that, that elk. Yeah. But, well, I think, you, uh, I'm complaining. yeah, <laughs> I think you, uh, you might need a little bit more wall space at this pace, man. It's funny, Dan, some, someday when our paths cross or, or you come up and do a plant tour or something, um, I laugh about this now, but I mean, when I built my place, gosh, it's been 12 or 13 years ago, but when, when my wife Ashley and I designed the place, uh, I got a like what I would consider the main wall in our house uh, vault to about 23 foot at the peak. Yep. And and we are filling it up, but uh, I... I I got plenty of room for, okay. for at least the next five, 10 years, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, I was, I was thinking about this, you know, um, I was, I always daydream too about, you know, what I would do if uh, I could build my own house and, and I would probably have a 40 yard wall it is 40 yards long. That way I could shoot, but also start the process of, you know, all the taxidermy and mounts and all that stuff on, on the wall because, uh, I think I have about room for maybe four more mounts on my wall, and I got two of them coming back to me uh, probably this spring sometime. So uh, there might be a, a move maybe in my future. Well, a move and or you put a shed up and you make a man cave in there, right? Yeah. And, and <laughs> of setting yourself up, because I, I actually laughed and I uh, – <laughs> I got two daughters and, and both of them are, are outdoorsy and stuff. And I, I chuckle at this, but someday their dad's going to kick the bucket and they're probably going to have a hundred plus head mounts to deal with. <laughs> and, and some, my mouth, I have no idea what they're going to do with all this stuff, but whatever, we're going to keep piling it up. That's right. Well, I tell you what, maybe, um, I've been watching this uh, show on uh, the history channel called Vikings and some of the, like they get buried or burnt or however they, you know, end their, in end, end their life with all of, you know, like some of their possessions. So maybe we could just start a big bonfire of all your mounts with you on top of it. Hey, I mean, at, at least I'd go out happy and on top. <laughs> That's right. That <laughs> all right. So expedition archery and I'll, I'll i'll tell you what when it comes to this time of year right or some some bow companies uh start start the process of you know teasing what they're going to launch in the uh in the fall some you know a lot of them are around this ata time frame the early january where they come out with their their new um their new type of, you know, lineup for, you know, for the year. And I'll tell you what, yours intrigued me the most because of the rumor mill. I think that was kind of going on behind this bow saying you guys were going to be using some new material. There was some um, new, you know, possibility for cam design and that this bow was just going to be like cream of the crop. All right. So I, sure. I, I was really excited to hear, hear that. And now I, you know, I haven't got the opportunity to shoot any of the bows yet. That's going to be coming, but I, uh, I'm excited to talk with you today because you know, what, what's the, what's that saying? It's uh, stronger than aluminum, lighter than carbon was what you were teasing everybody with. Yep. Yep. Okay. So what the first question I have for you is between last year and this year, right? When you guys all sat around the table and said, Hey, or, or previous years, because we know that maybe it isn't one year in, um, in the making to get some of these bows out. But when you guys were sitting around the, the table, having these discussions of how to make the best possible bow under, uh, the expedition archery brand, what does those, what do those conversations look like? You know, it's, um, it's, it, that, that's a great question, Dan. So it, it looks more like this. So, so number one, I, I think people don't fully understand that, like what they see this year, uh, maybe, you know, 18 months, it may be 24 months. It, it may be years in the making. And, and all I mean by that is like the concept of what a compound bow is uh, has been relatively stagnant, you know, for, you know, if I said, the last six to eight years, we probably haven't seen any 
uh, ground shattering uh, innovation, right? It, right. Uh, have things got faster and smoother and quieter? I mean, yeah, the arguments, yes, right. <clears throat> but the the basis of of how companies are doing it really hasn't changed, you know. And and most of that boils down to there's a lot of smart dudes in archery, Dan, and um, I mean, of course, there's software and everything else that can that can facilitate and help with with draw force curves and and trying to create efficiency. You know, we're we're very lucky uh, and and blessed to work with Kevin Struther as our as our exclusive designer. I mean, uh, I always joke with him, but I mean, it, arguably that dude is going to go down in history as as like one of the godfathers of modern compound archery. I mean, he's he's probably done as much or more single handedly with design, whether it be cams or or materials or systems, um, than anybody in the industry. So. When, when we go into, you know, what we consider the think tank, <clears throat> we do it with a couple things in mind. And number one, um, literally trying to have a lineup that, you know, call it top to bottom, you got something for everybody. And it's not just spec related. Sometimes it's, it's literally, you know, at what cost or, you know, is this model going to be in and, and what adjustability. And I, I think you understand it because, I mean, virtually all the manufacturers are trying to fill you know, call it a rung on each one of the racks. So they, they, they have price point bows, they have youth bows, you know, they have premium hunting bows, uh, they may have a price point hunting bow, and then you, you, you jump over and you, and you kind of have a target category. So you're in and you're out. It's more about, um, you know, does something, do we need to hit uh, on something that we haven't hit on? Uh, is it time to, to switch gears to a different system? Most of it, uh, by and large, outside of the spec side, most of it comes through the year or, or years, I'm going to say. And, and like you, you, you hear us talk about purpose driven and, and that's literally, we live and die by that. Like I'm not going to do something just to make it cosmetically look different or, or, you know, create a marketing spiel about something that really isn't different. I mean, our goal will always be how do we keep, you know, moving the needle you know, further and further uh, with advancement, with efficiency, with speed, with, with the weight, with vibration, with noise. I mean, it's kind of endless. So, I mean, that think tank, most of that comes back from consumer and or dealers, you know, in, in conversation, they may ask, you know, why this, why that? Um, we take all that stuff into consideration. And, and of course, some of it is, you know, what's trending, right? So you, you could make the argument that the you know, go deep, go further, do it yourself, you know, Western rugged, you know, I, I need lightweight, every every pound matters. I mean, that, that kind of stuff, of course, is taken into consideration, but um, it's a pretty broad stroke, Dan, so I, I don't know if there's any way to explain it other than we're trying to take all of those factors into consideration when we're making, you know, decisions on where we're going to put our, our R&D focus for, for this year, for next year, for you know, four years out. And, and the reality is we really don't know um, until we start testing. And then almost 90, if I said 98% of the time we start with an idea, uh, it then morphs, right? Because we find things along the way, uh, good, bad, or indifferent. And then we build off of that or, or kibosh it. You know, we've, we've kiboshed projects that were three quarters of the way complete because it, it definitely wasn't turning out the way we wanted it to. Yeah. So, you know, you you talk about uh, almost like a plateau, right? It's like if you look, if you compare specs, you know, there's axle to axle, there's brace height, you know, like there's all these different things. So it's the material and the construction uh, and the design that is making these bows um, quieter or faster or more, I don't know, the, the term forgiving or, or whatever. So um, when you guys were having these conversations with your engineers or, you know, the Struthers guy who is, uh, you know, the designer, um, like how, how do you approach taking the same materials and trying to make a better bow that's going to stand out above this, this somewhat plateaued market? No, and, and, and same thing, good question, because, I mean, it, it's the old saying, Dan, you know, is the juice worth the squeeze? And we live right now, I would call this, and I don't want to say the plateau because I, I don't feel like we're at a plateau, but if, if you actually just step back and objectively look at the industry, 
um, virtually everyone's making a bow out of, you know, 6061 or 7075 aluminum, right? Uh, and, and that's most of the machine parts. Yep. Uh, and then, you know, you, like you, you jump over to limbs, virtually everybody's using the same material, you know, from, from poly one or Gordon one glass. Um, it, it, none of that's a secret. You know what I mean? Like right. all of that, all of that's readily available to any of us. And then even when you jump over to like the, the camera, the drive system of a bow, realistically, you know, what, what used to be three models. And, and, and I'll say like the, the first one's the hybrid model or, or like some manufacturers would call it a cam and a half where, Yes, it's it's two cams that are, you know, from a geometry perspective, very similar, but like in a hybrid model, the bottom cam always drives. Um, part two of that is like a binary system where we're truly, you know, top and bottom are, are basically tied together and, and forced to sync. Um, you know, that makes up over, gosh, if I said 90% of the industry is running some version of a binary, I, I think I'm pretty accurate. And then, you know, the solo cam or single cam, um, that by and large now is a thing of the past because I think, you know, all the, the juice was out of that squeeze. It, it probably got as good as it was going to get and, right. and everyone adapted. So all of that taken into consideration, um, realistically, if it, and this is my opinion, so take it for what it's worth in. I think a lot of what, what has steered the industry as a whole, uh, has more to do with how it was marketed. Right. And, Okay. Um, I don't have a twenty thirty million dollar marketing budget, so I, I don't feel like I'm in a position to say steer the market a direction um, by being incredible with how, how we present it and, and the story we're telling. Uh, so we said, hey, we don't even have that as an option. If if, if we're going to try to steer the industry, it's going to have to be through through innovation. You know, literally getting more juice out of the squeeze. So. The introduction of our, our exploit by Magnite material, obviously, the, the, that's a huge one. Uh, our new lever cam and, and the efficiency levels, you know, we've achieved with that. I, I think that's there. And then uh, near and dear to our, our own system is, is our new cable assembly, the, the ETS or energy transfer system. That's a, a pretty major upgrade for us, and it's unique in the industry. No one else, you know, features a, a cable roller assembly like we do. So, um, perceptions, reality. I mean, some people would say, wow, you guys really did, you know, make, make a bunch of moves. Other people are like, wow, well, no, it isn't. It's doing the same thing. And in conceptually, yeah, it is because it's a compound bow. Uh, but did we make massive improvements on, on where we were at? The, the answer is absolutely yes. Yeah. So, okay. So before, I want to get into everything that you just mentioned there, the three, the three big topics there with this new bow, but, um, in the commercials that you guys released, you, your voice is there saying purpose driven, right? And all the feedback that you get from the dealers, from the end users uh, of the bow. Do you have any specifics that you could share with us um, or examples, specific examples of things that you heard from the dealers, from the end users that you put into this year's lineup? Yeah, I mean, I, I I I can use a pretty generic but easy one. So like last year, Dan on our MX series lineup of bows, they all featured our our HDS cam hybrid dual stop. Okay, and and we got rave reviews from from a consumer and, and dealer standpoint on the on the feel and tunability of that cam system, and we rolled it out with with the best intentions in mind. We were trying to give the end user, the choice on, you know, the field, the back wall field. Do, do you want to feel a, a cable stop bow or do you want to feel a limb stop bow? And like, it's distinct, right? Like a, a limb stop bow is a very hard back wall. And oftentimes a cable stop bow, uh, although they can be very consistent, it, it definitely creates more of a, uh, a spongy back wall. So right. I'm going to use that as an example because, Going into this year, virtually all the feedback I got was that, you know, we were all but throwing, you know, $6 of, of stops away every time we were sending a bow with both because I, I think 99.8% of, of last year's MX series or the HDS cam got shot with limb stops. So, like, this year, uh, I dropped it. You know, I, I took the, the cable stop concept out, and, and it's twofold. Number one, uh, if it's not getting if it's not getting used and it's you know nothing big per se with with our end consumer, 
I want to get rid of it, but it also allows me to, to take some material out of that cam because I don't need that extra crack. And by default, that leads to efficiency because it lightens the cam. We're moving less. It, it takes less en- energy to move that cam with limbs, right? So um, that, that's a real-world example of, of what we change. I mean, the, the other ones I would mention, uh, cosmetically, we changed a lot on the bows, and that was all driven by dealers and consumers saying, hey, have you thought about this? Hey, have you thought about that? Um, and that's why, like, we, when you physically look at, at this year's lineup uh, versus last year's, the first thing you're going to notice is a very upgraded look to the to the finishes. Okay. So there's a couple. Yeah, yeah. So this may be a, a long answer. This may be a short answer. I really don't know. But axle to axle, all right, you come out with a 30, a 33, and a 37. What drives that specific number? Is that feedback again? It, it really is. And I mean, if, if, if you think about it, Dan, so the, the main thing you're affecting with axle to axle, and well, two things, I guess, is what I'm going to say. One is the, the practical application, right? The smaller the bow, arguably the more handy it's going to maneuver in a tree stand. Uh, you, you'd like to think that because it's smaller, it's lighter. Um, you know, it, it's a smaller machine. So whether you're hunting out of a blind, a tree stand, or, or climbing a mountain and it's strapped to your back, you got less bow with you right right um so just the the size attributes that's part one part two would be um string angles right so arguably you can't have a 30 inch axle axle bow uh with as flat of a string angle as you're going to get out of say a 37 inch right so depending on the application it it's kind of top to bottom right the 30's got the steepest string angle uh, but very seldom are you going to see a guy that's say six four with a you know a thirty thirty one inch draw shooting that small of an axle to axle bow. Typically, they're going to shoot something bigger by default because you know per se it fits them better, right? Yeah. Um, so I mean, all all of that kind of goes into in into it. But I mean, same thing. There's limitations. I mean, the typically the shorter the bow, uh, the lower you're going to have the the effective draw length. And, and for all the reasons I just mentioned, right? Um, but the longer your axle to axle is, uh, you know, hypothetically, the longer you can make the draw length and still keep the bow uh, in a good, efficient state as far as how the cams are going to rotate and whatnot. Okay. All right. So the next thing I want to talk about is this Exloy, all right? This uh, um, blend of alloys that you used uh, for this year's bow. Now, when you guys make a jump, to a new material like that is that a is that a big commitment is that scary for a company to to finally put it you know make that decision and say we are going in this direction yeah so, so, yeah the short answer is absolutely it's scary uh it, but on the flip side it, it it was probably the most exciting thing we've done as well and, yeah. and i mean I, in the the lead times associated with taking a you know, a material from, in our case, it's, it's taking a raw material, pounding it into a forge, and then the forge, you know, takes shape of the riser, and then that goes into a CNC machine, uh, you know, to machine it out and get the, get the lines you're looking for. So uh, I think what people probably don't understand as just a general rule is I'm talking about months um, in whip or work in progress to get a riser from, you know, call it raw form into a a decorated bow that goes into a dealer's you know shop or a consumer's hands and and that's i guess that's the scary element to me is when we made this decision uh to do the changeover it basically threw everything out that we had in our you know call it supply chain uh in in how we produce a bow and we started from scratch again so the model's not really different, but the fact that it's a full changeover on material uh, is very, it, it's huge. It's a huge change. Yeah. So, you know, my very small, uh, exp- you know, uh, knowledge of manufacturing tells me that when you have a new process, a new material means new process, new process means longer to, to hone, meaning um, longer to make the whole process itself more efficient, thus resulting in a higher cost to produce the actual product, meaning the end product is going to be more expensive. How did you 
how did you guys like come together as a team and be like, listen, if we're going to go this direction, we can't have a $5,000 bow at the end of the day. Right. How did you guys address that to keep the price still somewhat down? Well, I think it's, it, it, I don't think this is unique to us by any stretch. I mean, I think every business, you know, runs like ROI models as far as, you know, where's the return, where's the break even, uh, how many models does this mean we have to, to produce more? What's our cost to do the changeover? I mean, all of that goes into, you know, let's, let's call it a cost benefit analysis. And, and this kind of goes back to what I was saying, Dan. I mean, we are, you know, we joke about this, but I mean, we're, we're David and there's a bunch of Goliaths in this space. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I would say upwards uh, 80% of the, you know, flagship bow sales probably end up in the lap of three different manufacturers. And, at last check there heck there's over 30 um you know bow companies in existence so it, it, i think if you ask most people even even guys that are avid archery buffs uh they might be able to rattle off 10 you, you know what i mean and, yeah. and dang sure they're gonna rattle off you know the the big five or, or whatever you you consider the big ones but the i say that because like like i said we're we're battling giants. So like I looked at it, like, like I said, I mean, I don't have a marketing budget where we can just go out and flood the, you know, TV and print ad and, and social media. Like we don't have that bandwidth. So like, like I said, we had to come with something that we felt like would shake the industry up and people would take notice. And, and for sure it worked. Right. I mean, I, yeah. um, not to pat ourselves on the back, but I mean, there was definitely a major buzz around, you know, this X series lineup. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, uh, once you started messing around with this new, uh, this new alloy and you're, you know, you were talking about months of getting it right. Um, was there ever a time in that, uh, in that process where you're just like, Oh man, did we make the right decision? Like, did you question anything or did you guys just make your decision and go gun ho until it was right? We, so the, it's kind of two part, Dan, because I mean, the decision to go gun ho uh, was made because we got it right before that, you know, with prototyping. Right. I gotcha. So uh, that we had to do that. And I mean, this is, I mean, it's over two years in the makings now since, since we even started, you know, dabbling with the concept. Um, but as soon as we, as soon as we started getting the results that, that we were expecting to get, um, and, and I preface that because you never really know what the new material, I mean, it, yeah, it looks good on paper, but you're not sure, you know, I mean, how does, um, you know, how's the paint going to stick to it? What's it going to do in the weather? You know, I, it, there's a bazillion what ifs, right? Um, but the second we got to the point where we said, wow, this is special, uh, we legitimately have something special. It did not take us long to say, this is the direction we're going. Yeah. And then the second we did that, yeah, then the, the, the race against the clock starts on, wow, we're going to launch a bow on January 7th in conjunction with ATA. We, we got to get these things ready. And and even to this day, I mean, we're a couple weeks post-launch. Uh, we're not even fully ramped uh, with production. We got orders rolling in like crazy, and, and we're building the bows as fast, literally as fast as we can get them through start to finish back to our hands decorated. Yeah. Um, so – Everyone that's listening, all I would say is, you know, we appreciate the patience because we've had uh, an incredible reception from from our existing dealers, a lot of new dealers coming on, and and a lot of end consumers, you know, asking dealers, hey, are you going to have Expedition? And and it's it's awesome. I mean, it's a great place to be, but um, I just want to be able to get the bows out, you know, as quickly as possible and, and, and keep our, you know, quality control in check because, uh, we do think this is special, you know, and, and this right. may be carving, you know, a, a new normal in the industry. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, so how far, what, what was the difference between the original prototype, like the first shootable prototype to what I'm looking at right now? Uh, most, most of what I would say, Dan, I mean, like the, the shape, the geometry of it really didn't change. Right. I mean, we, we knew that from a design perspective, um, what you would see definitively if like you look at our first prototype verse now, most of it would be fairly minor stuff, right? Like, I mean, a, a chamfer or a corner round, or maybe this cutout changed a little bit, that sort of thing. But um, by and large, we, we had a pretty good 
concept of what we were going to do. So when we started with, you know, the 33 and then did the 30 and then did the 37, it was more just a series of um, if the prototype tested out, like I said, flipping the switch to now get it in our, our exploit material uh, and, and start building them because uh, I, most of the heavy lifting happened uh, long ahead of, hey, we're actually going to cut a prototype, right? I mean, everything was a concept at that point, but once it becomes reality, you almost always make some changes to to the prototype before you go into production. Okay, nice. Man, that's, uh, that's crazy. And uh, that you know of, are you the only... Uh, I guess bow on the market right now, other than a full carbon bow, um, is or is everybody else aluminum still? Well, yeah, I mean, right. Let's put it this: aluminum bows, and then there, as far as I know, there's one manufacturer that has you know kind of a hybrid carbon bow in the fact that it's um, it's more of a resin based. Uh, with carbon reinforcement. It, I want to call it a true carbon bow. Um, there's a couple manufacturers, of course, that do true carbon risers, and then virtually everyone else is doing some version of aluminum bow. So to answer your question, Dan, yeah, 100% we're the only people with with this material. Uh, we secured patent rights. We secured exclusivity with the material. Um, we get to, I don't want to say pit winners and losers, but um, – Obviously, we will work with other companies that potentially want to license the material, you know, whether it's a site or a rest or stabilizers, who knows. Um, but hypothetically, anything today that is aluminum could be exploited by Magnite tomorrow, you know, and, okay. and, and they'd have the same benefits we get. You know, it's it's 30 to 35 percent lighter. It's 20 percent stronger. Uh, there there really isn't a lot of downsides to it, even from a manufacturing perspective. Um, there are things we've actually gained efficiency in our process because of because of our ability to uh, to machine it differently. So, yeah. yeah, well, efficiency is a very popular word, especially um, not only from the manufacturing standpoint, but from archery as well, right? You, you don't want any inefficiencies in your bow. You want that arrow delivered downrange in the most efficient way possible, so that it it, it the power's there, right? The the impact and all that stuff. So. Um, the it says here on your website the this new lever cam redefines the levels of efficiency ever achieved in the archery world. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, so I mean, I, I think efficiency is a, a term that does get thrown around a lot in the the industry, and I don't know um, if a lot of people truly understand what it is. But I mean the. I'll dumb it down like this, Dan. I mean, the, the industry as a whole for a long time operated with the premise that if you were achieving 85% efficiency, and, and really all I mean is how much energy goes in and how much is get, you know how much are you getting to come out at, at the arrow level. And, of course, that leads to speed, kinetic energy, momentum. I mean, we, we could throw every buzzword in, in the world at this thing. Um, but the gist of it is, if you can get more efficiency or, or make a bow more efficient, you, you are getting more out of that cam, right? So um, the days of 85% efficiency are long gone. I mean, even last year we were, our, our HDS cam pushed efficiency levels up into the upper 80s. Uh, the new LVR lever cam pushes it literally into the 90 percentiles. And it's, it's just a category that we haven't seen. So, I mean, even last year, there were multiple independent reviews that, that put us best in class from an efficiency standpoint. Um, you know, we just moved the bar up a little further. So it's, it's cool in the fact, I mean, I, I think, you know, Dan, I mean, like hunting to me is, is the end game of, of why I like to do things differently or, or, you know, try to make advancements. And the reality is, is the more efficient your bow is or the more efficient the system is, uh, the heavier arrow you can shoot, you know, the faster you're going to shoot with a smoother draw. I mean, you can look at it 20 different ways. Um, but for me, it's, hey, if, if I can shoot, you know, a 40-grain heavier arrow, no matter what, that's going to result in, you know, different momentum. And, and the analogy I use with everyone, and, and this is pretty radical, but, I mean, it, it, it speaks volumes, I believe. Speed does equal energy. Um, but if Dan standing across the room and i had a gun and this gun could shoot a ping pong ball at 200 
60 mile an hour or a golf ball at 200, uh, the end result of you standing on the other side of the room is going to be substantially different when the golf ball gets there than the ping pong ball, right? So, right. although I'm not, you know, I'm not a fan of like crazy heavy arrow weights. The 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 fact of the matter is, literally, the heavier the projectile when it gets there, it's going to hit hard, you know. And, yeah. and you know, if if your arrow's built right and the spine's right, you know, you're not going to get the whipping effect. There's just there, there's so many opinions and subjective people saying, Hey, do this. And this is right. I mean, I don't know that there's a perfect science, but like I said, that's why I use the ping pong golf ball thing because I'll, I'd rather go slower with heavier. Uh, but if I can go faster with heavier, that's, that's kind of the end goal. Oh yeah. That's <laughs> a, a mouthful. Sorry. Yeah. That, well, that's a, that's a win-win, right? Yeah. If you, if you can't transfer that energy through efficiency and, and, and translate it to, to something usable that's purpose driven, what's the point? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. You could have a bow that shoots five feet for, but if, if it's not gonna if it's not gonna carry it, who cares? Yeah. How do you guys attest efficiency? Uh, the, the, the efficiency is actually it's a, it's a formula and it's it's a series of measurements that take lever arm ratios into consideration, Dan. Um, and I'm not going to go all scientific nerd on you, but it is. It's a series of, of measurements you're taking at a defined weight, draw draw weight and draw length um, against the rotation, and ultimately that, that's how you get efficiency. Like, that, it, it's a formula. Okay, gotcha. All right. But even, like, I guess I'll take it one step further, Dan. Even our speed rating, right, um, that's always a huge topic Every year, it's a topic of conversation when manufacturers come out and say, hey, this bow IBO is at X. Um, you know, we do it, and, and I don't know, I, I can't speak to any other manufacturer, but what we do is we have three different graphs. We take 10 shots through each graph uh, with an IBO-weighted arrow, and then we take an average of those 30 shots to, to come up with our, you know, advertised IBO. And and on, there's so many variables there as well. Um it is what it is. That's that's why we try to do it the most, I don't know, you know, objective way we can, and that's why we take a series of shots through multiple graphs to, to come up with our end number. Okay. So back to the cam then, what is special about this cam? I mean, from the design aspect and how, how does that cam drive efficiency? Yeah, so the, the, the cam, and I know we're, if we were sitting here and I could draw you a, raw force curve i think this would make sense to you um but if you think about it that what's different on this cam is it loads almost instantly so when you're you know if i just said you're you know dan you're a 29 inch draw five inches into you pulling this bow it's going to hit peak weight so if you're a 70 pound guy our goal is that it hits peak and then maintains that peak literally as long as it can through the through the draw cycle, and then it starts to taper off without a radical valley. So think of it this way. Uh, th- this this cam loads incredibly fast, so think of a, a, a fairly sharp angle up, and then it plateaus, and then it stays flat for about 8 to 10 inches, and then it slowly starts to go down uh, into the effective let off, right? So I think the biggest difference is there is no pronounced – valley with this cam it, it, it feels like it's loaded and then it just keeps dropping off um where most bows that that have you know some performance behind them you definitely have a a fairly you know radical hump and dump or or valley or you know whatever term you want to throw at it that this one does not do that it is very very smooth from front to back okay so you know the that is the draw cycle then right that's the and that basically trans translates for a guy who doesn't care about any of the last 10 minutes of this conversation. He wants to know what this bow shoots <laughs> like. Right. So, um, yep. so that just translates into smoothness of draw. Yeah. Cause like I said, normally you're not going to get a bow to go, you know, 348, 350 feet per second without that very traditional, you know, hump and dump or valley because that's how they're creating the energy in, in, in the cam. Um, this kind of redefines that category because it's incredibly smooth, yet it's still blistering fast. Gotcha. Okay. So I think 
to the listeners, like, well, what does any of this mean? Um, it means that you're going to be able to to keep your performance, but not give up that that smoothness. Like you, you like your shoulder, you're going to be able to keep your shoulder with this cam and and still push the speed. Um, you know, I, I hate to say like unprecedented levels. There's a lot of fast bows. There's a lot of fast systems. Um, but I think pound for pound, as far as the smoothness of this thing and the performance coming out of it, it it, it is in a class of its own. Okay. All right, the next thing that I want to talk about before we get into the the end package here is this energy transfer system. What is this energy transfer system, and how does it benefit the overall bow? Sure, sure. So the the ETS system, uh, like I said, real creative, right, the energy transfer system. (laughs) uh, I joke about that. The reality, Dan, is, is when we took ownership of Expedition, you know, three, four years ago, uh, Expedition had run a very simple cable system, and, and they called it the ATR. Um, but really all it was was a, an angled rod with, like, slots cut into it, machined into it, and the cables actually slid through these slots. So as you can imagine, it, it was super simple. It was super effective. But the perception was, wow, that, you know, that's a lot of friction. You know, you're, you're, you guys are basically just pulling the cables out of the way and, and letting them, you know, run on a, a smooth aluminum edge. And, and the reality is, yes, we were, um, and it works great. But uh, it was literally the number one thing uh, I had consumers and, and dealers, you know, ask like, hey, man, when are you guys going to step that up? It's almost too simple, you know, compared to your – your competitors, it, it, it just doesn't look sophisticated enough. Gosh, I, you know, it's wearing the cables out. I could go on and on and on, Dan. <laughs> so, you know, we, we did. We, we listened and we switched to more of a, you know, your, your very traditional cable slide. Um, and then we added rollers. So, so now we have a, a cable slide system that had ball bearing rollers for your cables, less cable wear, uh, but then, same thing, every ATR lover in the world, you know, jumped down my throat about it and said, <laughs> go back to the ATR, go back to the ATR. Um, so when, when we set out for this year, I said, this is an area where we're going to spend a bunch of time. Uh, I, I want to get it right. And, and in doing it, you know, when Kevin started playing with this, he figured out that not only could we have a better system, uh, we could have a unique system. And, and what makes it unique, Dan, is it, it is still a free-floating um system so like uh, w- when you get your bow you're going to be able to like you-, you can physically move it back and forth on on the cable rod uh it- it's floating but when the bow is static or or at rest uh the-, the cables are already preloaded so we're forcing the cables back with this system and then as you draw the bow that pressure is released and it allows that roller to move back ever so slightly but then same thing when the bow goes off the cables are stopping in a low position and uh, same thing. I mean, through that process, we figured out, wow, we just reduced a bunch of friction. We put more load on the bow and the end result is we did. We picked up a couple feet per second uh, just by, just by manipulating that system. So simple. Uh, it, it's still very simple, but it's incredibly effective. And, and, and that's why we were able to go ahead and, and file for a patent. Okay. That's cool, man. All right, yep. so the Exloy, the lever cam, the energy transfer system, you put all that together and you get this X-Series bow, right, amongst other things, right? So what's the outcome, Correct. right? What's the outcome of this new lineup? The outcome of the lineup, uh, kind of twofold. From a business perspective, um, hands down the most effective launch. I mean, the, the, the sale increase we're seeing and, and the new dealers that, that are coming on board, uh, really that was the goal, you know, to, to grow the brand and, and, and create a very sustainable business model. And part two of it was, obviously this is a pretty radical change for us, but, but it also becomes the foundation of everything we're going to build off moving forward, Dan. So right. um we're not looking back at this point. You, you know what I mean? It, it, it's going to be exploited by Magnite uh, in everything we do moving forward. And, and we want to move the trend the other direction. Like I said, so many companies are trending to heavier bows to, to dampen more, right? So it, I don't think it's a surprise to anyone. You can literally reduce vibration by having a, a heavy bow. And, and that's kind of where the industry is going. And the end result is a bow that feels great. 
but it's it's incredibly heavy. So we're kind of going the other direction with the goal to create the lightest bow, the fastest bow, and you know reduce as much, if if not all, the vibration we can possibly take out, so that the end user doesn't even feel it. Bow goes off, it's whisper quiet. Um, and I know that sounds like the the you know cr- Christmas wish list, but really that's what we're trying to do. Like we feel like we got the light thing one. We feel like we have the the right cam system from an efficiency and performance standpoint. Now, how can we just keep improving on it? And, and that's what you'll see us do. So it, it's working, and and I'm excited about the future, man. We're gonna like, like I said, we're gonna our we're gonna give it uh, our best effort to make the best machine and and of course it's it's subjective to opinion and brand loyalty and everything else but um our goal is no one could pick our bow up and shoot it side by side with anyone and and at minimum not be impressed you know what i mean we're we're not going to win every battle but um we don't plan to you know that's that's the nature of the business so do you guys think you did that uh, with this series I I think anyone that that would judge it objectively and and that is that's a big statement Dan because I'm telling you um I don't know any other industry that's more brand loyal maybe maybe yeah. like the Ford Chevy conversation but like um you know what bow you shoot is part of who you are and it's uh so many so many of our competitors have actually turned into lifestyle brands and I mean all their marketing is is about the lifestyle you know, you have, or you lead because, you know, you're part of their, you know, following or however you want to look at it. Um, yeah, man, to answer you, I think I I would welcome anybody to shoot us head, head to head with anybody. Um, and, and like I said, top to bottom, I, I want to say we're going to win the race, but again, like I said, you got to take all of this stuff into consideration because one guy might love the way our bow shoots. The next guy's like, that's not my style, you know, and it, like I said, we're not going to win every battle, but yeah, I, I'd like to say we're, you know, we're, we're nestled up there with, with any of the big manufacturers as far as what the end result is. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. So one of the last questions that I have here for you is for the guy who in the past has been brand loyal, loyal, or to somebody who may not be brand loyal, but is, it's it's time to pick up their new bow. It's time to get a new bow. Why should they consider expedition? I mean, I, I think the list is long, and and, and like I said, I, I could literally start rattling off features and you know this advantage, that advantage. The reality is, that I tell everyone the same thing. I mean, if if somebody's new to archery or or just looking to to upgrade, they need to do themselves a favor and and literally shoot all the bows, right? Because, like I said, what we think is the magic formula, you know we hope it resonates with the majority of people, but it's not going to resonate with everyone. Um, they may pick up another manufacturer's bow. And, and, and I always relate it to like, everyone's got a favorite pair of boots they wear. Right. And even if you're, maybe your boots, not as good as somebody's or, or, or whatever, it's, it's the best for you. It's the one you pick every year when you're going to go hiking in the mountains. Right. Um, I think bows are the same way. Like I, I think we could all think back through the years and, and certainly you have a, a favorite bow, whether you shot it the best or, you know, gosh, you killed your biggest deer and by default it becomes your favorite. Um, I, I, I just encourage people to like do this with, with an open mind uh, and shoot them all, you know, know what's different, know, know what company's strong in, in certain areas and not in others and, and vice versa. But yeah, at the end of the day, dude, it's, uh, I always say beauty is in the eyes of the bow holder. Um, and, and I I believe, you know, give, give them all a shoot, you know, a yeah. shot and, and figure out what works best for you. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, um, you know, I, I, this is a, a big launch for you guys. It's uh, somewhat radical. You know, it's, uh, it's new. It's, it's exciting. What is next for Expedition? Um, I, I guess, I mean, without, without giving the family jewel, what's next is I think to see more of the same Dan in the fact that, uh, we're going to keep pushing. We're going to keep trying different things to, to be better. Um, but at, at the same time, keeping the whole purpose driven thing, if, if there's something that works and is resonating, uh, I'm not going to veer off course on a whim. It, it, it's going to have to come from consumer demand request dealers you know talking us through what they're seeing trending and what's working and what's not um you know we're going to stay the course but i think you're going to see some new product offerings from us 
Uh, you, you'll see, you know, potentially new bows in the lineup. Um, I, I guess I'd say we're going to stay in the course, but staying the course for us means, you know, trying to move that needle forward for sure. Yeah, be innovators in the market. That, that is truly the goal. And, and, and like I said, we have no, no, uh, absolutely no ambition to be, you know, the biggest manufacturer, but we, we dang sure want to, you know, be touted as one of the best, if not the best. You know, that, that's our end goal. Right. Well, uh, I'm excited. I can't wait to shoot the bow. Kurt, man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and talk about the new uh, lineup that you guys have. So thank you very much. Yeah, you're very welcome, Dan. We appreciate the invite.